Verse 1, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. Now, quick time out. David is the king, and if you had read 2 Samuel 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, you would have read about really the best season of David's life. I mean, everything is going right. He reconciles with Mephibosheth. He brings the uh, uh, Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. I mean, it's victory after victory after victory. Everything seems like it's going right for David, but you know the Scripture says, he who stands take heed, right, lest he fall. And David is going to have a tremendous moral failure and fall in 2 Samuel 11, and he never saw it coming. And it starts with what I just read to you. David sent Joab. What you probably need to know is Joab was the one man in David's life who could look him eye to eye and speak truth. The one man David had in his life that could hold him accountable. And David just sent him away. And it says in all Israel, Joab and his servants in all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. So the springtime of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, pop quiz, who's the king? David's the king. And so it doesn't look like a mistake initially, but David has stepped away from responsibility and he's withdrawn from accountability. You cannot thrive in your soul in isolation. It cannot happen. It is not good for you to be alone. And the reason I'm starting here is because we live in a day where we are extremely isolated. David is going to commit adultery with Bathsheba. It's going to harm his family. It's going to harm his kingship. It's going to harm other people who really have nothing to do with it. I mean, you go on and read 2 Samuel. But I want you to see uh, it begins with David having no accountability in his life. Nobody who's honest with him. Nobody who's truthful with him. And it's not good for anybody. In fact, David will only get back on track when? When Nathan confronts him, loves him, speaks truth to him. Now hold that thought and go with me to Luke 1. While David was thriving prior to his moral failure, Mary has been having uh, all sorts of interesting things happen and people misunderstanding her. But uh, she's been told that she's going to Give birth to the Messiah. That's what we've been celebrating at Christmas, right? But look what Mary does in verse 39 of Luke 1. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, that's John the Baptist, right, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb, and why is this granted to me that the mother of the Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is, he, is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And go down to verse 56. All these scriptures are great, but verse 56. Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So it's a contrast, right? 
While David was set up for failure by withdrawing from accountability and godly relationships and friendships, Mary is launched into a very difficult season of life but she's got a reservoir of, uh, to, to deal with it. Why? Because she spent time with a godly sister in the Lord. Does that make sense? I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite you to stand at this time. And uh, if you've got a Bible and want to open it to Titus uh, chapter 2, uh, our text this morning will be Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. Uh, and the scripture will also be on the screen. But here's Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness And to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for grace. Thank you for grace that has appeared. And that grace has brought for us salvation. We could never earn it. We could never deserve it. It's grace. Salvation is a gift of grace. I pray for anybody here today that's still trying to deserve it, merit, earn it, that you'll free them from that, and that they'll respond to uh, the amazing grace of God. The grace that saves us also liberates us, that it trains us to renounce things, to be rid of things, to get rid of things in our lives that are ungodly, that are impure. So I pray for us to grow in this in 2020, that uh, there's some things in our life that are present and ruling and reigning that are ungodly. By your grace, may they be cast down. Help us more and more to set our minds on Jesus, that our hope is really in him and his return. And then uh, particularly this morning as we study this passage, I pray you'd use your word to uh, encourage us in the new year to be zealous for good works. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may be uh, seated. And sort of our key word for this morning is going to be zealous. Uh, That's found here in this passage, that the grace of God does something in your life. And so maybe the best place for us to begin this morning is simply to ask it this way. Are you currently in your life zealous for good works? And that's what I want to talk to you about and encourage and exhort you to be zealous for good works in the new year. This word zealous, that's in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, that, that Christ purifies for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So an impure life will never have zeal for works. Without purity, there will be no power. Amen? So if you've got impurity in your life, you're not zealous for good works. Another prerequisite for being zealous for good works is it says he purifies for himself a people of his own possession, that you have confidence that you belong to him. Now, obviously, while we've been uh, reading some scripture and studying, we've had a treadmill brought in. Some of you shudder at the sight, I know. Some of you are wondering, do I need a sign for what I need to be about in the new year? Here you go. Here's a sign. Hard life 
So be able to, now, no matter what your disposition is towards a treadmill, it's important that as we use this illustration this morning, that for you, just for us in this sermon, the treadmill is going to represent good works, okay? Good works that you're to be faithful about, that you're to participate in, that you are to work hard at, that you are going to be zealous for good works. Now, real quick, we want to have works in their proper place. You look at Titus chapter 2, what does it begin with? Verse 11, what comes first? For the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation. Are we saved by works? No. What are we saved by? Grace. Grace brings salvation. Now, aren't you thankful that it doesn't say, if you'll train yourself to renounce ungodliness, then grace will appear. That's what a lot of people think, though, isn't it? Kind of how we're wired by the sin nature. We think if we'll do right, God will give us grace. But grace comes first. Amen? So I'll say this together. We're going to say grace comes first on the count of three. Grace comes first. One, two, three. Grace comes first. But grace doesn't come alone. It brings something with us. For, for example, it brings the desire to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion. Something happened to me this week that I didn't think was going to happen. I was at my mom's house. Don't worry, it's not on. Y'all can relax. It's not on, is it? No, it's not on. I was in my mom's kitchen, and I saw something in her kitchen that for the first 39 years of my life, I had no appetite for. And there it sat after I'd already eaten far too much, there sat a pumpkin pie. Now, there's two kinds of people in the world, those who love pumpkin pie and those who don't. For my whole life, I've been part of those who don't, and yet I looked at that pumpkin pie, and I didn't expect this, couldn't have predicted it, but it welled up in me that I thought, that looks pretty good. And I pulled out a plate, had myself a nice piece of pumpkin. My appetite changed. Grace comes into your life, and the things that used to be desirable to you, unrighteousness, ungodliness, if grace has really appeared, guess what happens? You begin to renounce them. Do you know why? Because you want to. And then simultaneously, the things that you did not desire, purity, compassion, kindness, putting somebody first, praying, reading the word, all of a sudden you have an appetite for these things. There's been a transformation that has happened. Why? The grace of God has appeared, and you've been It's a word there, friends. We're just studying the Bible together. You've been saved. That's what it means to be saved. You've come to faith in what Jesus has done for you and who Jesus is for you. That you don't earn salvation. It's a gift of grace. Now, the grace has come and it's brought salvation, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Training. It's in the present tense. It's ongoing. You've still got some things, if you're a follower of Jesus in your life, that aren't godly. You can look back in 2019 and say, man, I made a misstep there. I made a, 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 a sin there. And, and not only are there things in my life that I'm doing that I ought not to do, there are things in my life that I should be doing that I'm not doing. But man, His grace is going to stay with us. Amen? We didn't start by grace and going to switch over to something else. His grace stays with us. Some of you need to hear this. Because you think His, you think his grace appeared and now it's gone. No, it's here. It's here. There's no less grace right here in this moment than there was when Paul sat and said, I got to write a letter to my good friend Titus on Crete. He's in a tough spot. I'm going to write this letter. That's the epistle of Titus. Grace is available here, but real grace, not counterfeit grace, not uh, (laughs) uh, deceitful grace of the world, it always brings with it a desire that you be trained to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live, to really live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present. So God changes your character. And then your heart is set on Jesus. You're waiting. You're waiting. 
You're waiting. And not a grumpy, moody, complaining, waiting, a longing. He's coming, and it's not too far from now. He's going to be here waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of Jesus. And who is Jesus? He's the one who's redeemed us. And he's made us his own possession. And here's how you know if you belong to him. One of the hallmarks, one of the fruits is you're zealous for good works. We're going to specify a number of those good works this morning. But what I want to do for a moment is use this treadmill as an illustration. And my main man, Abel, Abel, you come on up. I have kind of twisted his arm and talked him into helping me this morning. It was his idea to wear this T-shirt, right? Flash T-shirt because he's fast. And I, do, I would measure to say that he probably can't outrun just about anybody here today on this treadmill. So Abel's going to help me. Everybody say, good morning, Abel. Yeah, my main man's going to help me out. And what I want to do is I want to highlight four wrong approaches to good works. Because this is not the message. This is not the message this morning. Hey, y'all, get your act together and get out there and start working. That's not the message. Grace, works go together. Faith without works, you know this, is dead. So we want to talk about real grace leading to real work. So here's mistake number one. All right, Abel, get on there. Mistake number one, start running. Start, start running. Go. Start moving. All right, now, now you moved it about a half an inch. Now what does this represent? Honestly, this represents 99% of the works that we do if we're not careful. What's the obvious problem? You already know what the problem is, don't you? no power here. I'm not plugged up. What fuels good works? Grace. Gospel. You know what Jesus said to the apostles? They are hardworking, well-trained men. You remember what he said to them? You go to Jerusalem, and paraphrasing a little bit, but not much, don't do anything until the Spirit comes. The Spirit is the power of good works. Now, if you don't have the Spirit, if you're not submitting to the Spirit, if you're not trusting grace, then go again, Abel. You can move it a little bit. And this is where some of us are in our life. We're straining in our marriage. We're straining in our parenting. We're straining in our teaching. It's like we're working hard. I know this isn't correct English, but we're not working good. That makes sense? doing things but nothing's getting done make sense not anything that really matters in the kingdom and you can strain and you can pull and you can grit your teeth and you can bear down and you can say man look at me I'm really working but you're not really working be filled with the spirit the scripture says walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the body amen so good works begin by understanding the right power Hang on, plug us up. So, Abel, be on guard, my friend. And plug us up. And now I want to see if the power comes on. Power on? All right, so we'll use it in just a, we'll just do, we'll use it in a moment. Don't start running just, just yet. Mistake number one is simple and straightforward, but I need you to hear it. Because there have been so many times in my life where I have uh, sought to do good works but I've sought to do it for my own glory. I've sought to do it for my own reputation. I didn't listen to Jesus when he said, beware of practicing your righteousness in front of other people in order to be seen by them. Good works always glorify Jesus because they're rooted in his grace. Amen? 
And so what does it take? What does it really take to go across the street and share the gospel? Man, you're filled up with grace. You're ambassador of Christ. Uh, so, so, uh, so, so, so number one would be to try to run, treadmills representing good works, try to do good apart from the power of the Spirit. You know what will happen? If we just made Abel do this for 10 straight minutes, you know what would happen to him? He'd be a sweaty mess and he'd be exhausted. Some of you need to hear the grace, have the grace to receive this. Some of you are exhausted right now because of this. Because this has been your life. And you're frustrated and you're angry and you say, why isn't this moving faster? Now, good works are hard works. But there are some hard works that aren't good works. Does that make sense? So, number one. Number two example Abel I know you can have a seat for just a moment you know it's just hard to stand up in front of everybody would be this some of you got exercise equipment like this at your house don't you here's mistake number two right now this is designed to be a treadmill but because walking on it and running on it is hard sometimes we just repurpose it, right? And all of a sudden, that exercise bike that I was supposed to sweat on and exercise on becomes, you know, room for my clothing and my laundry, and I hang up my wardrobe on it. Now, this is the mistake that says I'm saved by grace, so I don't have to work. Now, I'm just going to, you know, there's some good things that should be done in the world, but, but I'm saved by This is a somebody, and this is common, and it's deceptive. This is why we need to know the word, Amen. This is a person who would, in their soul, take a eraser and say, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Erase, 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 erase. He's redeeming the people for his own possession. Erase, 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 erase. And then, therefore, there's my life. And it doesn't really matter what I do because I'm saved by grace. You see, the grace that doesn't transform you isn't the grace of God. Now, we want to be balanced because often we adopt this mentality in order to combat against legalism, which we'll talk about in a moment. But we are saved by grace, but the grace that saves us, the power of God that saves us, transforms us because what is it that we've been saved from? We've been saved from sin. We've been saved from ungodliness, not saved in order to have a license to continue in ungodliness. Now, if a father welcomed that prodigal son home, but he welcomed him home from where? From the far country, not welcomed him and gave him a pat on the back and said, now you go live in the far country. Why not? Because it's a famine there. There's no life there, and you need to come home from there. So some of us need to understand grace correctly, that, uh, and, and this is all through the Scripture. For example, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for we are saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But, verse 10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we get the order right. We are not saved by grace. I'm sorry, we're not saved by works that bring grace. We're saved by grace that leads to good works, just so we're all tracking together. Because it does matter. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that we may receive what is due for what we have done. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Now, I'm not going to give an account to God for my sin. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I will give an account to God for what I've done with my life what I've done with the opportunities that are provided for me. So this mistake number, mistake number one, no power. Mistake number two is I've repurposed good works in my life. Now, mistake number three, and Abel 
we'll let you sit there for just a moment. You know what this is? Mistake number three. Mistake number three. It's going to illustrate mistake number three. What this is, is the owner's manual to the treadmill. Right there, see? There's a little picture of the treadmill. Got a little warranty going on here. And uh, then this is, uh, this is actually pretty exhaustive. I got the specs, how tall it is, how wide it is. I got some warnings in here, right? Before beginning any exercise program, consult your physician. This is especially important for persons over age 35. What? Or persons with pre-existing health conditions. Keep children under the age of 12. Uh Uh-oh, Abel, we messed up. And pets away from the treadmill at all times. Never start the treadmill while you are standing on the walking belt. So we could go on, and then I've got a part identification chart. Five sixteenth star washer, five and sixteenth nut, truss head, screws, bolts, how it puts together. I got information here about the heart monitor, the display, maintenance and troubleshooting, exercise guidelines. Now, this is really important. You could read this manual every day. In fact, you could take the whole manual and divide it up in daily readings so that over the course of a year, you read the whole thing. You could take snippets of it and have fighter treadmill sentences. You could sign up. You could sign up for a group that meets in homes and you get in a circle and you talk about what it says. Did you see page 14? And then a lecture uh, a message about the treadmill and we sit down and we ask questions about it you you could uh listen to podcasts that talk about the treadmill and all of its benefits you understand the point don't you you could you could know that manual backwards and forwards and never one single time step on and get going it could happen can it so so let me just Tell you some things real quick that I need for my own life too. Does it really matter if you know the Bible says to repent and you don't ever repent? Doesn't really matter if you know the manual says you must be born again and you're never born again. Abide in Christ and you don't abide in Christ. It doesn't matter if you know the The manual says, do not be anxious about anything. And then in your real everyday life, you're anxious. It doesn't matter if you can quote that the manual says, forgive one another. And yet you still harbor resentment and bitterness. It doesn't matter if you know the manual says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. But you keep stockpiling them. It doesn't matter if you know, hey, the manual says, make disciples of all nations. Pray without ceasing. Flee sexual immorality. Renounce ungodliness and never actually do any of those things. Then you're self-deceived. And that's dangerous. Now, do you need to know the word? Absolutely you do. But there's a whole group of people in Jesus' day who knew it backwards and forwards, could recite it, page number, and exactly what width every screw in the treadmill was. But they didn't know God. And Jesus said of them, the Pharisees, again paraphrasing, You tell everybody how to walk on that thing, and you've never taken the first step yourself. It's a danger to your soul to be an expert in the manual 
and not be merciful, not be compassionate, not pursue purity. To, to, to know, hey, on page such and such it says, no. So don't be a manual memorizer and knower who doesn't do anything. It's what James is saying all through his book. Faith without works is dead. Got a couple other things not to do, just real quick. Uh, so Abel, I am going to ask you to come back, right? Y'all going to work with me a little bit today because we're probably not actually going to turn it on because, you know, I just think that's wise. So Abel, you stand here on the, on, on the treadmill, and here's, here's the other thing people do. And I'm, I'm going to kind of be the illustration at this point. Here's what other people do. <laughs> Can't believe he's got those shoes on to walk on the treadmill. He hasn't even hooked up the clip. <sighs> Can't believe he's doing that. He doesn't even know what he's doing. He shouldn't hold his arms that way. No, I won't do that. that was... Do you know what happens? Treadmill criticizers. Critics. Not, listen, not doing anything themselves, but plenty of observations about how you should do it. All right, you can be seated for just a moment. You're doing a great job, by the way, isn't he? I mean, it is just flawless, flawless execution. <laughs> flawless execution. Listen to me. Do you know what keeps you from being a good work critic like nothing else? Doing good works. If you're filling up your time with good works, you don't have time to be a complainer about the world around us or the other people actually doing the work. Listen, it's, it's, a, it's a danger for all of us to become good works critics. Not going fast enough, not the proper running form, only did 20 minutes. Friends, uh, when, when you give yourself over to good work criticism, it's a hallmark that you yourself are not involved in doing the good works. That's important for church life. Adrian Rogers said, nobody's been saved to sit, stew, and sour. God didn't reconcile you to himself. There is no spiritual gift of complaining. Amen? There is no spiritual gift of criticizing. And it's a miserable life, quite frankly. The hallmark from the fall of those who either don't know God or are out of fellowship with God is grumbling and complaining should walk faster, should sweat more, should go further. Do you know what's really dangerous? What's really dangerous is when the critic is a manual master. Oh man, that's the worst case scenario. When you know the specs, but you've not actually done anything. And then you start quoting, you start quoting the, the manual in criticism of people who are actually trying to do it, Right? What are the good works rooted in? Again, by grace. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. It's just really a healthy, I think a really healthy spiritual inventory to take. It's what I've learned a lot in the past year. Two things. Num number one, are you in a place in your life right now 
where you have established a target, a target of criticism. This can happen in marriage, right? Everything in my life that's not right, it's her fault. Or maybe it's a child or it's a coworker. Y'all hang with me. Some of us, this was an easy exercise. Yes, right? The person. And, and so, so here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. If for 2019, you've had a criticism target, and maybe there are some legitimate things, by the way, that could be done better. I'm going to invite you, because often when we have a criticism target, that's actually the person that a sovereign God has placed in our life for you to be a grace extender to. Real grace, not saying, hey, there's some really hard things here and we'll, we'll just let them continue. That's not what I'm talking about. So if you've got somebody in your life, maybe it's just a hard relationship, coworker. It, it might be that God has, and what I'm learning probably is, a person that God has allowed in your life. I'll tell you what. You can spend your whole life this way, sitting down and criticizing. Or if you've received grace, Jesus said this, those who've been forgiven much, love much. One who comes alongside. I don't think it makes much sense if we've received much grace from God and are slow to give grace for others. One other uh, warning I want to give, and Abel, you're going to come with me, and this time bring the cell phone if you remembered it all right so we're gonna let Abel do this get back on the treadmill for me now this is gonna be hard for you not not really but you don't all right now I want you to hold this up we're all pretending that Abel's running now hold that up now I want you to take a selfie take a selfie can you do it? awesome I'm gonna keep I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep that picture yeah but let's do it like it's real, like you hold it up there you go there you go yeah get a picture of that smile yes so again, you're working with me. It says if he really is running for safety reasons, we won't do that. But now he's taking a selfie. Now here's a principle. It's how strange we are. Our righteousness that should be done in secret is done in public. And our sin, which should be brought to public, is done secret. We turned it upside down. Now, Abel would never stand on the treadmill and take a selfie but I want to encourage you something in the new year and oh I'm sorry you can be yeah the flash and you can relax I think we're done we're done you don't have to come back I'm going to encourage you in the new year to let your works be done not for self-promotion or they're not really good works truthfully Jesus said this way Matthew 6 Beware of practicing your righteousness in front of other people in order to be seen by them. And we live in a culture with social media and other things that we, we really want to promote and project all the good things we're doing. This is why we're so isolated. While the real things we struggle with, they don't really get put out there. And I'm not saying they should. You understand what I'm saying. I, I'm saying what Jesus said. So if you are giving to, your, to the needy, don't sound any gong before you. For there are those who love to stand on the street corner thinking they'll be seen for their many works. But you, let your giving be done in secret. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. When you pray, don't stand and shout for everyone to hear. When you pray, 
go into your closet and close the door, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There is great joy. Listen, there's great joy in really sacrificially serving, loving other people and not needing to get the credit for doing so. Because here's what that scripture says in Matthew 6. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The approval and the hand clapping and the like clicking are pretty shallow, truth be told. Fades pretty quickly. But the reward from the Lord, the reward of, I've been saved by grace. I'm renouncing some ungodliness in my life and some worldly passions. I'm living self-controlled, upright, and godly life in the present age. That reward is, well, you can't get it anywhere else except for knowing the Lord for who he really is. I want to give some practical good work suggestions. So we can all agree that uh, good works are a result of grace. Uh, Good works uh, multiply, I think, as uh, impurity and ungodliness diminishes in our lives. So uh, when I was at uh, my in-laws at Christmas, they had a book, and I meant to bring it and set it somewhere. I've got so many things at this point, I can't quite find it. But it was by Matthew West. Uh, It's called Giving Christmas Away book's probably underneath that laundry that I brought in. But, uh, so, so a lot of these practical suggestions come from that book. Uh, and what I'd encourage you is, as you enter 2019, get some specific plans in place about how you are going to work hard, faithfully, diligently. I mean, it is hard work. We didn't go here, but uh, it was in my notes. In, in 2 Timothy, the book right before Titus, Paul compares the Christian life to, to, he uses three metaphors, that it's like being a soldier, it's like being an athlete, and it's like being a hardworking farmer. And a soldier and an athlete and a hardworking farmer are all diligent and hardworking, training to renounce ungodliness. And if you look at Titus, all through this book, he's going to talk about, uh, talk about works. So here are some practical suggestions. Good works always build others up in grace. So practical suggestion number one. Write a letter. And you know where I got that idea from? This letter, Titus. Right? Here's Titus. And he's in a hard place. He's in Crete. If you go and read chapter one, Paul alludes to, man, you're in a tough place. I left you in Crete to put everything in order. And Paul is a letter writer, isn't he? Often when we say, let's turn to the New Testament book of Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Timothy, Philemon, what we're turning to are letters. Now, I believe inspired of the Holy Spirit, but it's Paul writing down either to, or writing a letter to a church or an individual that he takes time, he takes the initiative. Can you think of someone you know who should hear just how much they mean to you? And you sit down, listen, Not a text, a letter. Write the letter. Proverbs 10.11 says, The words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. Also helps combat the isolation. So much of our isolation, our aloneness, is a result of unwritten letters, a lack of initiative. As you likely know, some people in your life, man, they they need somebody to step in and give words and be a, a champion of grace like Paul, who was a 
letter writer. So that's idea number one. Another good work is to forgive. Maybe instead of writing that person off, difficult though they may be, you're going to prayerfully forgive. Do you know when God forgave us? When we were his enemies. The only reason we've got any hope is that when we were enemies, he did not write us off. I can tell you that bitterness is not going to get lighter in 2020. The longer you carry it, the heavier it will get. It's a good work to forgive. Matthew West, in his book, uh, one of the chapters, it says, Be an angel of the night. So I'm going to read to you for a moment about what that means. He says, Growing up in the suburbs of Chicago, there was never any shortage of snow. We had crazy amounts of snow. And you know what that means? Someone had to shovel the driveway. Every time we'd get hit by a snowstorm, Dad would say, this looks like a job for the angels of the night. My brothers and I would grumble a little as we reluctantly put on our hats and gloves and snow boots and headed out for a night of shoveling. We weren't shoveling our driveway. Dad would, we weren't shoveling our driveway. Dad would take us to the home of a widow in our church or to the neighborhood of an elderly man who was too frail for manual labor. We worked hard, but it didn't seem like work because despite our initial grumbling, we always had fun together. And we knew how surprised the people would be the next morning when they looked out their windows. The angels of the night had struck again. Now, I know that idea requires snowfall, and maybe we'll get some. It certainly doesn't look like that today, but maybe some other time, a couple of weeks from now in January or February, that'll happen. Maybe it's not snowfall, maybe it's yard work, maybe it's picking up limbs, maybe it's raking the leaves, maybe it's doing something in that way. You could write a letter, you could forgive, serve somebody else. Again, I tell you, the, the easiest way to fight grumbling in your life is to serve somebody who actually has it harder than you do. Next idea is to set an extra plate at the dinner table. Romans 12, 13 says, be eager to be hospitable so you can invite a neighbor, maybe the neighbor that you've always waved at but never talked to. Invite them for dinner or an international student that's going to school here in our area. Maybe the friend of your child who doesn't have the best home life. Do not shut out the world. It's a temptation we face as the church in 2019. It's going to bear down. I'm going to keep mine here. I'm going to huddle up. Don't close your door. Open the door. Don't shut out the world. Invite them in. I got some more. Maybe you'd give the mom with little children a morning off. You're going to keep the children. You're going to let her breathe. You're going to let her rest. You're going to let her sleep. Here's another good work to do. Don't pass the gossip on. Let it end with you. Now, the gospel never comes to you to end with you. The gospel comes to you so that you can take it to somebody else. While the gospel doesn't need to end with you, the gossip should. The gossip comes to you. I don't know if this is true, but did you hear about so-and-so? And it ends with you. Gossip's like a fire, you're like a water bucket. It came to you, and you're not going to pass it on. I find it strange that we don't pass on the good news, and yet we eagerly pass on the unsubstantiated news. 
Well, let's pass on the gospel, not the gossip. This next one I've already alluded to a little bit. Good work is that you're going to find a target for God's grace. You're going to identify one person that you're going to be kind to, compassionate towards, and it's going to be the grinchiest person you know. You say, they don't deserve it. Neither did you. They don't appreciate it. Neither did we. They don't even know about it. Neither did we. The grace appeared. You know, for people to know grace, it has to appear. The greatest privilege you have in your life is to go to somebody who doesn't know God, and in your life, it's like the grace of God's going to appear to them. Now, I know Titus is ultimately talking about what Jesus did, but your life, your words, your actions, your forgiveness, your compassion, your raking the leaves, your setting the plate for dinner, your willingness to forgive, it's going to help the grace of God in Christ to appear to them in a way that they've never known it before. Another idea, find a child in the church and be their prayer warrior. I think one of the great blessings we have in our church family, and you can look around. You look around, and uh, from about the age of 90s on down, we got somebody in here right now just about from every decade, don't we? That's a privilege. Julie and I were talking just the other day. Man, it is so blessed that we've got some people in our church family. Man, they've been through the ringer, and they have seen the faithfulness of God over decades. We talked about that the night we went Christmas caroling, some of the homes that we'd been to, and some of the things that those that we visited with have endured in their life, and they're still standing. They might not walk quickly, but they are still standing. So we need each other. Maybe in a way you'd say, think of it, good works this way. I can't run as fast as I used to. I can't go as hard as I once did. Number one, those of you who can do that, do that. Amen? You don't know what's happening. So if today you can run, run. You know what I'm saying metaphorically, right? But you might say, I can't go like I used to. But one thing you can do, if you're older, you can find a child in the church, and you're going to be their prayer warrior, their encourager, the person not in their immediate family maybe who loves them, speaks to them, builds them up. It takes a church to raise a Christian, amen? And so it might not be your biological child, but you say, that child is as far as it's up to me. I'm going to be like Paul was with Timothy and Titus. Timothy and Titus are not his biological children, but he says, you're my children in the faith, and I'm going to pass it on to you. Got a few more, y'all all right? We're going to do a few more good works. Give your family a silent night. It's from the book, Matthew West 2. Turn off the television, hide the remote, leave your cell phone in the car. Live in a loud world, don't we? Media dominates us constantly. So turn it all off and experience peace together. Talk to each other. Maybe you'd sit around with no interruptions and you'd read through Philippians together. Or you'd read through Ephesians together. Or you'd read through Ruth together. That won't take you long, but man, it'll be powerful. You sit and read the scripture together. Get the manual back out. Might be able to see, hey, there are some things we're doing wrong in our life. Now our heart condition isn't right. An encouragement to every family that's here today, every married couple, if you're not regularly reading the Bible and praying together, good news, you start today. I do believe that a priority of our spiritual enemy is to prevent you from doing that. 
Next good work would be this, build up a friendship to be Christ-centered. We saw earlier, Mary needed Elizabeth. Elizabeth needed Mary. Paul needed Barnabas. Some of us are so busy, we're not actually investing in friendships anymore. David needed Jonathan. Naomi needed Ruth. We need godly friends. So take the initiative to be that kind of friend. Pray together. Witness together. They're going to pick you up. We're going to go see so-and-so. We're going to share the gospel together. Jesus sent them out two by two. So put some Jesus into your Jesus friendships. Children in the room this morning. Here's your good work. Honor your parents without being asked, without being threatened, (laughs) without being told to, without being said, if you don't do this, if you don't clean your room, I'm taking this away. In In a way that you would be able to say to me, Brandon, there's no way that you're spiritually healthy if you're not treating your wife well. I will say to the children, there is no way you are spiritually healthy if you're not treating your parents well. No way. So have the humility. Have the humility. Have the grace to think maybe they're not crazy. (laughs) Maybe these warnings they're giving me aren't insane. Maybe you'd have the grace to say, even if I think this way, maybe I'm not right. Maybe I could listen. Maybe we could pray. Maybe instead of constantly, I can have the grace to say, I'm going to listen. I'm going to hear. Watch your words. Maybe you just say, I'm going to do watch my words Wednesday. And that means you're going, to only, you're going to spend the day only speaking words of grace and kindness. And let your words be gracious. And you're really going to take inventory. What I'm about to say, is it Ephesians 4.29? Um, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such that fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Another good work is you're going to be that house. You're going to be that house where all your children's friends are welcome. You're going to cheer for the children of family. Uh, uh, you're going to cheer for other children other than your own on the team. I don't know why I couldn't get that out. but You're going to cheer for them. You're going to know their name. And when they get the hit, you're going to say, way to go. And when they strike out, you're not going to sit there and say, well, I'm glad it wasn't my son. You're going to say, I care about him. I care about her. I don't just cheer for my child. I cheer for the team you're going to pray with the people that come in your house i tell you a great ministry is if your child has a friend and they come to your house you pray for that child they can hear them or hear you you pray together you pray in front of them be that house that's unlike any other house they're going to go to it's not a grumbling house it's a thankful house and you'd be thankful that though they make a mess messed your pillows and cushions up Left those crumbs under the table. Forgot to take their shoes off at the door. That I have been welcomed into the Lord's house when I was a mess. Might pick up the tab for somebody else in the restaurant. Or behind you in the drive-thru. You're going to have a praise day. You're going to spend a whole day telling your child everything you love and are thankful about them. No criticisms allowed. You're going to park in the back of the parking lot. If you're well enough to walk, save the spaces nearest the entrances for those who can. And yes, you are going to devote time every day into the owner's manual. We do need the manual. There is not a day that goes by that I don't want to hear from him. It's by grace, friends, that we belong to Jesus. 
So serving and working for him is a privilege. We'll be zealous for good works. So we're going to be plugged in. We're going to come days of moments that you say, man, I want to get off this treadmill. I am worn out. And you need to rest. That's what Sunday's for. But you're going to put away grumbling. You're going to not look to your own praise, but his glory. And when I was preparing this message, I, I just wanted to conclude this way. That all these things we've been talking about in terms of good works, can we look to the cross and see that it is the best work? What he did for us at Calvary is the best work. Was there power there? Was he plugged in? He spent the whole night praying to his father. Some agonizing moments, but he said, my food, my food is to do the will of the father. In spite of this pressure, in spite of everybody seemingly misunderstanding what I'm here for, I got power. For the joy that set before him, the scripture says Jesus endured the cross. Is it rooted in grace? Absolutely. If you want to know how grace leads to works, you look at Jesus, who extends grace. And is he hardworking? Is he faithful to the end? Absolutely. Are the good works comfortable or convenient? Hardly ever. See, good works can be painful because they require sacrifice. They require you to swallow your pride and be like Jesus who took on the form of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Does Jesus go to the cross as a critic or the criticized? So they wagged their heads at him. They mocked him. They spit at him. But he kept entrusting himself, Peter says, to him who judges justly. Was it a work of self-promotion or self-sacrifice? Well, think about it this way. God and God alone is the only one who can justly, righteously, and in a holy way be a self-promoter. Because he is holy and he is righteous. So Jesus does hang on the cross, not in self-promotion, but in a self-sacrificial way that you could see the grace of God has appeared and has brought salvation. The cross, now I know, this isn't, uh, I know this isn't correct English, but what the cross of Jesus does is it zealifies my life. Zealifies my life. Puts the zeal for good works. Why? Because I belong to him. I'm a person of his own possession. He's redeemed me. He's ransomed me. He's given grace to me. And now my life is zealous for good works that are humble, not self-promoting, but they're sacrificial. Because I want to be like Jesus, because I've been redeemed by Jesus. Now, we're going to have an invitation. And don't worry, the invitation is not for you to come and start walking on the treadmill. That's not going to be the invitation. Although that would have been a pretty good invitation, wasn't it? Just form a line and you walk on the treadmill for a little bit. And we're not going to do that. But we are going to have an invitation. Invitation means we are going to respond to what God has said in his word. We've opened up the manual. We've read the manual. The invitation is when we sort of make a transition, specifically, concretely, practically, in real life, from here's what it says, and now here's what does it, what does it mean for me in my life right now? Some of you need to come to the front, and you need to pray that God would give you grace to forgive. Some of you need to come together. Say, God, we need help. We need the grace of God to be at work in my life. Some of you need to come and pray that I be more honoring to my parents. Some of us need to pray, 
Lord, help me to be more graceful and less harsh with my children, <laughs> right? Some of us need to say, I, I've wasted too much time being a critic. I want to be somebody who's zealous for good works. And it may be this morning, it may be that you need to come because the grace of God has appeared to you and it's brought salvation. You want to respond and say, I, I want to begin to follow Jesus. Let's stand together and we're going to pray together. Be my joy if this morning you have a particular burden, a concern, a, a desire to pray with somebody. I'll stand right here at the front. Be my joy to pray with you. It might be helpful for wherever you are in your life to come to the front and maybe you don't need somebody to pray with, but you just need to pray. And in humility, you come and just seek the Lord. Sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes it's helpful to put some physical <laughs> motion behind our spiritual appetites. You could absolutely, you could absolutely stay right where you are. But I will tell you, there's sometimes in my life where I needed to move. And this is indicative of me saying to the Lord and what He's saying to me. I, I just can't keep standing where I've been standing. I, I, I need help. Are you zealous for good works? Oh, I'm thankful that we have a Savior who was, how the zeal of the Lord consumed him, as he said. Father, thank you for Jesus. We pray for our invitation time, that it's not just a wrap-up and we're ready to go home. We're needing to be changed. We need the transforming grace of God to be at work in our lives, in our homes, in our marriages, in our workplaces. Transforming grace of God to be at work in my soul. Not be isolated and alone and dealing with things that nobody else knows about. I, I need the church to be the church to me. To lead us, spur us on, help us out of the pit, <laughs> help us out of the grave. Thank you for grace. And I pray for the grace of God that has appeared in Christ Jesus to be at work among us this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Lead us, we pray in his name. Amen.